Good morning, everyone. I want us to turn our attention today to the letter of Paul to the Philippians. And chapter 2 says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. There used to be an expression often heard, looking after number one. This is a sentiment that epitomizes the society we live in and regrettably also has found its way into many Christian lives and churches. But in actual fact, I am number three, not number one. God is first, others come next, and I come last. Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus. I come to do thy will, O my God. Not my will, but thine be done. And the Son of Man, that is him, the Lord Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. For to me, to live is Christ. And then he says, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So, dear fellow Christians, this morning, let's make sure we have the right order in our thinking and in our behaviour. Lots of university students take subjects that interest them, but they're called an irrelevant degree. In other words, they learn an awful lot about a subject, but that knowledge is irrelevant to the, car- to the career rather, uh, path that they subsequently take. I hope I'm not being unkind, but it appears to me that's a fair assessment of many a professed Christian life. Suffer this word of challenge, dear Christian, today. It's not how much I know about my Bible that really counts. It's how much about my Bible, sorry, how much my Bible knows about me and how much I allow it to search me that will be both pleasing to God and a blessing to others. Our Bibles are not there for us to amass doctrinal knowledge, precious and priceless as it is. They're also a roadmap for my life, a searchlight into my soul, and a vital message every day from God's heart to mine. They're the double-edged sword of the Spirit, cutting, dividing, and revealing our motives. They are our protection against the world, the flesh, and the devil in my life. They're also intended to be the means in the hand of the Holy Spirit to reproduce the grace and beauty of the Lord Jesus in me. Can I pose the following questions, please? Inoffensively, I trust. Why, dear Christian, do you read your Bible, if you do? Why do you go to so many Bible-teaching meetings when you can? How much more like Christ do you think you've become as a result of the above? Would your neighbours think of you as being Christ-like, religious, or perhaps both, or perhaps neither? 
Have you a longing to see people saved through your own personal testimony? Have you a genuine practical concern for those in your circle, fellow Christians and others, who are in special circumstances of need? Have you a facility or ability to meet those needs that you're not using? Why is it that there are so many people within our circle and reach who are lonely, sad, bereaved, sick and suffering, who are not cared for, when we could actually help to alleviate that desperate need? Have you ever thought deeply what it really means to have the mind of Christ in you? We live in a society of selfishness and self-centeredness. This oughtn't to characterise believers in the Lord Jesus. He wasn't like that. Neither should we be. I leave you this morning with these questions as I search my own heart in the presence of God. What applies to you applies to me. I believe we need to get back to basics. I believe God in his sovereignty has permitted this present situation not only to awaken the world to the imminence of judgment, to, uh, to awaken a sleeping church. Not in order for us to start again where we left off, but to, to be something that we've failed to be for a very, very long time. I trust that you'll accept what I've said this morning with the grace in which I have attempted to say it and in the meekness that we should receive the Word of God. God bless you. Good morning, everyone. It's the Lord's Day. And I want to read a verse from 2 Corinthians and chapter 8 and verse 9 this morning. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. You say that's got nothing to do with Philippians, which is what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Well, it has actually, because that chapter begins with the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia, of which Philippi was one, of course. And how that in all their trial of affliction and their abundance of joy and their deep poverty, it abounded unto the riches of their liberality. And, God, and Paul was commending the liberality and the generosity of this poor church. And couched in that context, we have this beautiful verse. As we had that beautiful verse the last time we spoke about the humility of the Lord Jesus that the one who was equal with God made himself of no reputation. Here we have again to these same people and about these same people this beautiful truth about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what does our verse say? You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich. We were talking last time about some of the richest people in the world. And I understand that the richest man is, has something like $200 billion or something like that. But it pales in utter insignificance 
to the riches of Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible says in Psalm 24, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Because he created it. But that was just, and I say just, that was the work of his hands. That was his creation. What about himself? What about the glories of heaven itself? The riches of eternal power and glory and majesty and dominion. It's beyond our minds being able to understand. His riches are infinite. His riches are eternal. He is God. And yet, the scripture says, that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor. No room for the baby in Bethlehem's inn, only a cattle shed. No home on this earth for the dear Son of God, nowhere to lay his head. Only a cross did they give to my Lord, Only a borrowed tomb. But the little chorus goes on to say, Today he is seeking a place in your heart. Will you still say to him, no room? But that was just the physical poverty. He was born into a poor family. They had nothing. They even, when it came to the offering that that was required... After the birth of a son, it was the poorest offering that they were able to bring. The Lord Jesus had to ask for a penny uh, to make a point with regard to the responsibility of his followers to pay their dues to Caesar, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. He had to Ask Peter to go down to the sea, you remember, and to cast a hook because there was a fish that had swallowed a silver coin that would pay the tribute money. And over again and again we see the Lord Jesus sleeping on the Mount of Olives when all the disciples and all those that were with him went to their own homes, nowhere to lay his head. But that was the physical poverty. But when we come to Calvary, and when we think of what he gave there, the Bible says that he gave himself. And there upon that cross, outside Jerusalem's wall, 2,000 years ago, my blessed Saviour was taken by the hands of wicked men and crucified and slain. And the sufferings that he endured No heart could conceive, no tongue could tell the pains he had to bear. But we believe it was for us he hung and suffered there. But we'll never know, perhaps, what happened in those three hours of darkness when the sun refused to shine as its creator died for man his creature's sins. And there in the darkness alone we only only know what happened after Because after that darkness, he could say, My God, my God, why didst thou, why didst thou forsake me? 
It was because of the holiness of God. It was because of the fact that he was standing in the sinner's place. It was because he was bearing the sin of the world, but also my sins in all their horror before a holy God and paying the debt that I could never pay. Oh, the poverty of Calvary. When the Lord Jesus, the scripture says, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich beyond all splendor, became poor. The poverty of Calvary. The poverty of being abandoned not only by his disciples. Scripture says they all forsook him and fled. All those people that had been blessed by him as he moved amongst them, the dead raised, the sick healed, the lepers touched and healed, and all those people that received his precious word, where were they then? He was alone. When the sacrifice in the Old Testament of the Day of Atonement took place, the sins of the nations were ca- on the nation was confessed upon the head of the scapegoat. And then it was led out by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness and let go. And one can only imagine what happened to it there, alone. That's just a very small picture of what happened to our Lord Jesus as confessed upon his head, so to say, was sin in God's creation. But not only that, my sins were confessed upon his head. And alone he suffered at the hands of a righteous, holy, sin-hating God as he bare my sins in his own body on the tree. That's how poor he became. Alone, alone, he bore my sins. He is the only one that can bear sin. He is the only one that can remove sin. He is the only one that can forgive sin. He is the only one that can be your saviour today. He who was rich became poor, that you, through his poverty, through his crosswork, through that which he did there outside Jerusalem's wall, might be rich. Rich, you talk about being rich in this world, people are clamouring after more and more and more and more. Well, those things, as we thought last time, will disappear when we leave this world. We came in naked, we should go out naked. We came in with nothing, we should go out with nothing, as far as physical things are concerned. but we can go out with the richness of eternal life. He died in poverty, so to say, in order to make you and me rich with salvation, with eternal life, with a home in heaven, a mansion in the skies, and that we should be with him forever. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, Yet he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might be rich. 
Have you ever received the riches of salvation? He gave himself in order that you might know the blessing that he alone can give you. God bless his word to you today.